Peer Review is a series of podcasts designed to shed light on the extraordinary breadth and diversity of talent that sit in the House of Lords. The House of Lords often gets a bad rap because it is thought to be a house of cronies and it is an unelected house. But I hope through these interviews you will see that there is this extraordinary talent, there is a great knowledge and experience, and with that I leave you to draw your own conclusions. Well, my guest today is Lord Monks, John Monks, who was for many years General Secretary of the Trade Union Council and also the European Trade Union Confederation, John, and you've been a member of the House of Lords since 2010. You're very much a Mancunian, uh, which is great because my family, as you know, come from there. And we got to know each other through the arts, believe it or not, which was through Mount View College, where you played a great role in in helping um, that establishment be built and uh, has become this fantastic school for uh, dance and theatre. But John, where did it all start? It was Moss Side, wasn't it? Which must have been pretty hairy in those days. Well, school in Moss Side, it's a, a technical school um, called Juicy, Juicy Tech. whose most famous uh, old boy was John Thor. The oh, yes. Inspector Morse, the actor, and so on. And I got there as a sort of a nervous 11-year-old. My mother was a bit scared that I was going to school in Moss Side. And uh, uh, so I was in my white shirt and looking pristine and so on. But I found out that most of the other lads were in the same sort of position. So it was a rough old area. And uh, it was one of the, uh, you learn a lot about life there. Prostitution and street walking was still legal. The uh, Wolfenden report hadn't happened when I, all those many years ago that I, I started. So there were used condoms in the road. It's a cinema where there were all kinds of things going on and so on. So it was a bit of an education, not just academic. It was uh, a very deprived area of Manchester. It was very deprived and a tough area of the town. Police went in twos and so on. But were you, were you brought up there? Or you went no, to I brought up in Blakely, which is North Manchester, mm. where I got my title, actually, uh, for the House of Lords. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, directly north of the city centre, about three miles out. And uh, my father was the district park superintendent of, uh, based at Boggart Hole Cloth, which is, uh, a weird name for, uh, anybody who knows Manchester thinks what a weird name that Boggart Hole Cloth is, but it's quite famous among Congresenti, uh, nice park, actually, very nice. So how did you get into Moss Side? Did, did you go by bus every day? Yeah, yeah, bus into uh, the middle of the town and then bus out of uh, down past the university. Yeah, it's the school was practically nowadays the university's grown. It's right next door to the uh, Manchester University. Yeah, when Whitworth Art Gallery, was, yeah, which was great. To, yeah. yeah, it was just across the road. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you got yourself to Nottingham University, I think. Nottingham University. I mean, I was a, a technical school, but I wasn't technical. Um, and there, but there was a small academic stream, and I was in that. And uh, yeah, I uh, I went to Nottingham, a very nice university it is too. And must have been quite a big upheaval coming down from the glorious north. 
Not really. I mean, my mother's from the south of England. Oh, uh, was she? All oh, right. And was your mother working? Not after she married, no. no. Uh, before that, she was a teacher. When she married, she did what a lot of women did, became yeah. a housewife and mother. So uh, how did you first get involved in the union movement? Well, I was a big admirer uh, at, at school, actually, of uh, uh, the Labour Party. Uh, the moderate bit of the Labour Party, uh, and I was there very, is such a thing, is there? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can't always see it, but it is there. <laughs> uh, occasionally shows itself. Um, and I was a big fan of Harold Wilson later. And uh, when I was at Nottingham University, I was in the, active in the Labour Club and so on. But I never thought I was remotely qualified for a job in the Labour movement, as we call it never occurred to me until an incident happened at Plessing and uh, on the Australian radar contracts. I went, to, I, I was checking it on a Friday afternoon where we were on the contract and it, it was clear we were going to be two weeks late and there was a penalty clause of £25,000 a week if you were late. And the reason we were late was that EMI, the more famous as a record company, mm-hmm. but a very clever yeah technological innovator. We're going to be two weeks late delivering a key part of the, the equipment that we needed. So I went to see the production manager just before everybody knocked off on a Friday and said, this is the position. He said, bloody hell. Uh, okay. He said, I said, are you going to sue EMI? He said, no, no, no. We'll never get anything out of EMI. Uh, anyway, I came in on the Monday morning and a picket line was forming outside the works. I stopped and asked one of the, uh, the the union people who I knew what was going on. He said, uh, O'Connor has sacked uh, the convener. I thought, aye, aye, I know what's going on, because in those days, you could get out of a penalty clause by an act of God or a labor dispute. It was, yeah. a, it was a, a legal provision, which yeah. was... Uh, Stop unions picking off one employer uh, who was in a weak position with a contract. So um, uh, that's what he'd done. I said, but, but there we've been talking about working together, team playing and all that stuff. I've been giving speeches like that to the workforce and you have. He said, grow up. This is business. So I thought, well, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. And it turned out that a contemporary of mine at Nottingham I just got a job in the Labour Party research department. I didn't want to work for the Labour Party, but I thought I'd like to work for a union. I was in a union. I was in the SCMS, the White Collar Union. Um, Clive Jenkins was the general secretary. And I applied for a job with them first and uh, had an interview with Clive Jenkins and his colleagues that lasted two minutes. I remember it was in a hotel in Mayfair. And it was after lunch, and I later learned Clive was not at his best after lunch. <laughs> he was short, uh, very short-tempered. And he, I remember he opened the interview with, what collective bargaining experience have you got? I said, I haven't got any. Um, I didn't mention that on my form. I said what my experience was. And he said, well, whatever made you think that you could possibly uh, work for this union without collective bargaining experience? I said, well, I didn't read the, I, I didn't in, uh, invite, send out the invite for the interview. Uh, he said, nor did I. 
Uh, <laughs> I said, is there any point in continuing this interview? And he said, none at all. So I marched out. The assistant general secretary running after me saying, look, don't tell the branch how it went. Otherwise we'll lose members. I've <laughs> been fed up with the where I'm working now, and I can see I'm fed up with the union now, that <clears throat> the way I'm being treated by them. Anyway, the TUC a few weeks later were advertising in the New Statesman where the jobs were in uh, those days advertised uh, for uh, somebody who knew something about production management and productivity at half the price, half the wage that I got at Plessis. Really? Yeah. But I I, I was single, footloose, and right, fancy yeah. free, so I thought TUC if I could get in that would be fantastic, and I did. I got the job off Vic Feather. And that was in 69 or something. 69. Vic Feather was acting general secretary. George Woodcock was ill at the time. And uh, within six six months, a couple of people had left. They didn't have a, We didn't have anybody who knew much about employment law. Um, and I knew a bit about employment law. I'd done a short course on employment law at Nottingham. So you were an expert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, you hit hit it at the 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 right time in, from a learning well, point of look, view. It's luck, isn't it? It's luck, and uh, and I, anything I didn't understand, I used to be able to call on Professor Bill Wedderburn, later Lord Wedderburn uh, of the London School of Economics, who worked as a consultant for us at the same time. So it, we had a pretty good team. And you were based at where TUC headquarters? TUC headquarters, which are in Bloomsbury, Bloomsbury uh, the British, the British Museum. Museum. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Salah. So you, you you're really a TUC lifer. I'm a TUC lifer. Yeah. I think I, yeah, I was 25 or so when I started there, and uh, yeah, stayed there a long time. And you became deputy in '87, I think. Deputy in '87, before that, head of the industrial relations department. Looking back on that period, which you know, I, I was kind of growing up in it as a moderate, which you have declared, yeah. it, you, the, you must have seen some pretty immoderate behaviour. Yeah, the, 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 the TUC all the time, it may not have looked like it always, but it was always trying to solve the problem. Uh, and the one lesson I take from it is if you've got inflation, there's a problem. Uh, and the inflation, that I mean, the recent strikes that we're having, mm -hmm. still having one today with the junior hospital doctors, uh, I mean, these. This is this is what inflation does. People want to keep up with other groups of people. People want to uh, make sure they're not left behind. It's it's a piggyback effect. It's a piggyback way. effect, and that was the that was where the Labour government of the seventies uh, was. Uh, the bodies not being buried in Liverpool and so on. That was we knew that was a, a disaster uh, coming for the trade union movement. We would pay for that. Mm. And we did uh, in the Thatcher era. Yeah, and you, of course, were uh, deputy in in a large part of the in, in part of the Thatcher era. Uh, and what was the mood in the TUC at that point? I mean, I, actually, often the unions I dealt with as a minister much preferred dealing with conservative governments rather than Labour governments in, in a funny sort of way because they kind of knew where we were coming from. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the battle line was clearer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, battle line. Yeah, I mean, the mood was that um, 
in the early Thatcher period, pre the Falklands uh, War, uh, we, we we tended to be a bit complacent, thinking she'll have to U-turn. She'll have to. Unemployment was rocketing. Uh, inflation was still very high. Uh, she'll have to. Interest rates were very high. Interest rates were very high. She'll have to do. Are we talking seventies? Are we talking? No, we're two, talking two thousand and so, so, talking talking twenty. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's echoes of uh, uh, yeah. of this that period. Uh, not fortunately, not not quite as uh, dramatic as it was then. But uh, yeah, we thought she'll have to U-turn. She'll have to uh, re- re- relax the monetary policy with Jeffrey Howell as the Chancellor, Iron Chancellor, as he. Uh, as he was at that time. Um, and so we were a bit complacent, I think. Um, and we could see the battle between the Wets and the Thatcherites in the Conservative government. And some of them were cultivating the, uh, the TUC a bit, Jim Pryor in particular. Mm. Um, but after the Falklands thing, it was different. Well, two things were different. One is the SDP was up and running and eating into Labour support. Mm-hmm. And among the, the moderates... The SDP being eventually become the Liberal Democrats. It was a gang of four... The gang of the Liberal Democrats and yeah. so on. Uh, but the th- a third party based calling itself the Social Democrats, headed by some high reputation guys. And David Owen, Shirley Williams. Shirley Williams and uh, Roy Jenkins. So fragmentate, and of course Roy Jenkins, fragmentation of the Labour Party. Fragmentation. So that split the anti-conservative vote, which was to her advantage. So she won a, a well in 83, very well. Uh, it's interesting to remember that before the Falklands War, I mean, she was well behind in the polls to Michael Foote. Mm. Um, but that the, the, the Falklands changed a lot, changed her too. I think. Uh, uh, she acquired confidence in her leadership ability in a way that probably only a war gives you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you you ended up with John Major. Yeah, yeah. We ended up well. Just to say, perhaps uh, Jonathan. Before that, I should mention. There was a succession of strikes from the 80 all the way through yeah. to the minus strike, mm. 84, 85, which was the other low point of my uh, TUC career because I, I admired the miners, I admired their union. I thought Arthur Scargill, it's, it, he was fighting for uh, communities, he was fighting for his industry. Uh, he made a lot of mistakes, but he probably wasn't far wrong what was going to happen. That, the, the coal was going. Uh, and now, of course, it's, it's nearly gone because of the uh, uh, environmental dimensions. But to see that that was, they were never going to win and probably democratically couldn't expect to win against a, an elected government in a democracy. Mm. And Scargill must have been a handful. Yeah, well, he was he was typically Yorkshireman, and he was uh, <laughs> said what, as a Lancashireman. What, yeah. what is it about Yorkshire? Jeff <laughs> <laughs> <Jeff> Boycott, <laughs> Freddie Truman, <laughs> Jeremy Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson. Uh, they've all got something about them that's a bit different, and uh, 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 and, and 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 Arthur Scargill certainly did. But I mean, he was uh, he was absolutely obdurate. 
and once or twice we constructed with uh, uh, with ACAS and uh, with the Department of Employment routes which could have solved the dispute and probably given coal a lot more time to mm. run down. And Mrs. Thatcher was not as confident all the time as sometimes it appears. And at that point, you were involved with ACAS, weren't you? From 79 to 95, you were Yeah, very no, much... I was the longest-serving member of the ACAS Council. Yeah, so you were, you were a, by nature, an, a, a negotiator rather than a... Yeah, than a, than a, than a militant. I, I've never had to lead a strike or I've never had to... As, as Clive Jenkins presci- presciently probably said, you didn't have collective bargaining experience. I didn't do that, <laughs> no. but I did a lot of conciliation work. Yeah. And then uh, Labour gets in, and you're general secretary at this point in '93 to 2003. So ten years general secretary is a long time. Is it actually easier with a Labour government? Can you change mm. legislation more quickly? I mean, there must have been a list of 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 changes that uh, Labour wanted to make to, to, for the working practices, uh, and it must have been quite easy to achieve, I assume. No, it was not easy to achieve. Yes, it uh, it can be a different sort of problem with the Labour government. Um, when I took over in '93, um, I decided to try and lead the TUC into a less dependent on Labour position. Labour had lost a lot of elections. And so I uh, opened up TUC conferences to Conservative ministers. Stephen Dorrell um, was one. David Hunt was another. Uh, we cons- we uh, switched the agenda to lifelong learning kind of issues, the environment. And areas that were less contentious than some of the traditional labor law battles mm. of the eighties, mm. yeah, and so on. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I got got on well with Ken Clark, uh, got on quite well with Michael Portillo, who was Secretary of State for Employment for a time, and uh, genuinely interested in constructive trade unionism. I thought um, the Tony Blair came in, determined to not end up as uh, like he perceived other Labour Prime Ministers to have ended up. He came into my office at the TUC. He didn't want to be seen as a union. He did not. Uh, he came in uh, and or it, it yeah. there's an office in the General Secretary's office in Congress House. And uh, as he came in, he said, is this the trophy room of the TUC? I said, what do you mean, the trophy room? <laughs> he said, where's the pictures uh, of the prime ministers that you have assassinated, um, <laughs> Wilson, Heath, Callahan, uh, and so on. The, uh, you're not going to get my head up on your wall. Um, that was the opening salvo. Uh, and he meant it. Uh, he was going to be centrist. He was much more susceptible to business lobbying, I think, than probably any prime minister. Uh, conservative prime ministers tend to be more confident in telling business where to get off. Um, Labour were not confident and was busy looking respectable and so as they, they are today to some extent, a large extent. Um, and so we were, we, we, we got three commitments from him. One was, um, 
uh, minimum wage, which has uh, been a success, I think, most people think. One was the signing up to the European Social Chapter. Well, that's gone with our exit, Brexit, and so on. Uh, uh, and the, the third one was trade union recognition laws, mm. which have been marginal, I would say. Uh, so we didn't get as much as we would have thought. I personally got on very well with Tony Blair. I uh, was an uh, admirer of him. Uh, I thought he was a very stylish uh, performer, very intelligent. Would have liked him to have been a bit bolder with the uh, excesses of capitalism than he uh, proved to be. Mm. And, then, and then Gordon Brown came in, but you were at the end of your... I was at the end of my, uh, yeah, I was. And you were on your way to Europe? I was on my, well, I, yes, I there mean. There was a gap, wasn't there, between? Well, yeah, the Tony Blair quit about 2006, I think. Yeah. I left the shores for, the, for Brussels in 2003. So I had. Uh, and this was to, uh, to lead the uh, European Trade Union. Yeah, that's big German which unions, is huge, the big, the French, which is the oh. top job, really. Well, it it, it wasn't really a top job. I mean, the, the real power still resided in the national unions, the, the uh, and the big the big groups. The TUC was a big group. The Germans, the Scandinavians, were the solid uh, solid bit. Italian unions were interesting, um, and the French unions, of course, were uh, always a bit more inclined to uh, uh, sort of revolutionary rhetoric and action, as has been recently displayed, not by the unions particularly, but in France. Mm. So, yeah, I found it interesting. Very. And you moved lock, stock, and barrel to Brussels? Not really. Um, I got a flat in Brussels. My wife was Dutch. Uh, was going to come and live there. But two things happened. One is uh, the uh, her father went into terminal decline, so she was spending a lot more time over here. And we kept the house over here. Um, and, so you uh, were shuttling backwards and forwards? Uh, yeah. Most did you, I mean, I know you're very pro-Europe. My concern was is the bureaucracy of, of Brussels that sort of, Got these huge tentacles. Did you? F you must have found it very frustrating at times. Or it, it, it I didn't find it frustrating actually. I found it um, uh, easier to work than probably it had been in Britain. It was less, but everything was less binary, less this or yes or no. It was well, can we find a way through this? You, solution was the favourite word in uh, the European. Commission and Parliament and so on, and it, it was. Uh, I mean, I found it fascinating dealing with Italian ex-communists or uh, um, German industrialists and so on. The d different cultures and the way they came together, and the momentum behind it, which, with all the stop starts and cockups and different mistakes that have been made, and Europe's made its share of those, it was still I found admirable. Uh, and I bitterly resent the fact that we're not part of it now. And I mean, looking back at the at your time there, the, I think there was a, a very big march at one point, wasn't there? Several, yeah, seventy-five thousand people yeah, descended oh, yeah. on Brussels, which you must have coordinated. I yeah, we did. Yeah, the, the first lot 
uh, big demonstrations were against uh, a directive which would have said that if, if a Polish company came to work in Britain, it could pay Polish rates. And that was undercutting the union collective bargaining system in, in the more advanced countries. We call the Bolkestein Directive after Fritz Bolkestein, who was the Dutch commissioner at the time. So we had a very successful campaign, the European Parliament basically, and then the Council of Ministers threw it out. We got something a lot better than that um, on free movement of services. Uh, after 2007, I was already alert and had been studying what, what hedge funds do and what private equity are up to and so on and called it the new capitalism. Uh, nobody in the union world had really thought anything about any of that. And we still thought business was steelworks and yeah. engineering factories, you know. And it, it wasn't. Uh, it had moved. And the huge industries of London and Wall Street and so on, lesser extent, Paris and Amsterdam and Frankfurt, um, were outside our experience. So I gave a, a lecture called the Anar and Bevan Lecture on the New Capitalism 2006. And then, of course, the, uh, the world exploded 2007 with the uh, subprime mortgage crisis in the States spreading out, the banks rocking, Gordon Brown mm. coming into his own at that stage, I think, with that problem, and, and, but at great cost to all the... Uh, the, the, the countries that were affected and the population. So that was my two two particular things which uh, I remember most. And we had big demonstrations uh, quite frequently on those. Mm. And looking back, uh, John, at your time involved with the trade union movement, I mean, there are certain things that I think you're known for. One one of them in particular was um, rights of parents. Yeah. To, to have... Um, Parental leave and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, which yeah, certainly that, my, yeah. my my own children are very grateful to you for. Not sure their employers are, but children <laughs> are. And, and but that was a groundbreaking thing, wasn't it? The three months leave and we, yeah. I mean, that was it, one of the good things about Europe is that you could look at countries that were doing things well and translate them into uh, something that might be European wide. And parental leave was one of those. Scandinavians were into it, um, and we got it generalized. On, on women's uh, rights, um, uh, sex discrimination, uh, equal pay and that, Southern Europe was poor. And we were able to generalize the British experience, which a conservative government had contributed to in legislation domestically. So, uh, and health and safety was another area where Britain led um, but uh, anything to do with collective bargaining, I couldn't get the Labour government ever interested in any European initiatives on that. Mm. Still going back to the fact that collective bargaining <laughs> was something that was, was not easy to achieve uh, for me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's a great thing. So we're now in a time which has similarities to the 70s. What's your sort of take on it? I mean, where does this all end, in, in your view, having been through it and come out the other end? I, d I don't know where it ends. I mean, I'm a great believer that this country seems to muddle through quite a lot. Um, and, and we're probably better at that than most others who uh, 
where the democracy can be a bit more fragile. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's the underlying problem, which is poor economic performance, poor productivity, poor innovation, um, skills that are not up there with the best and so on. Um, and I think of any government that can make an inroad into a problem, which we've had one form or another probably since the 80s, 70s, but we've muddled along. Um, uh, but we really must improve. And I mean, I'm in the twilight of these things now, but uh, the next generation, I hope, will do a lot better than my generation did on those kind of problems. And in the Lords, what what have you what do you feel you've you you've you've succeeded in in um, well, I'm achieving? Not, uh, yeah, I'm probably not the most active member of the House of Lords by any means, but um, the uh, I think the keep with one or two other colleagues, trade union issues in the uh, in in the debating area, uh, we are um, kind of constructive participants in a lot of the subjects that are around um and it we bring a, a rather distinctive experience to uh, the, the issues that the lords uh is concerned with and many of the lords are from academic or high business circles or whatever and the, the trade union contribution is a bit more earthy and a bit uh, oh, so it's, it's very very strong and there are a lot of you in the lords actually but anyway, the whole thing came full circle when you became visiting professor to Manchester University, 2010 to 2019, and that must have been a great moment. And yeah, had, it had was. Had your parents been alive too, they, they would have uh, loved they, it, wouldn't they? They would have done. They would have done. Yeah. No, I uh, I collected a clutch of honorary degrees from about eight universities and city and guilds and uh, Légion d'honneur from the French. So I've got a clutch of certificates somewhere in the loft. <laughs> the visiting professor at Manchester University must have been the great one. John, thanks so much for sparing the time. It's been great hearing about the that period of time where 